Alright everyone, welcome to Brandon at Random Reviews. I am your host, Brandon Griffiths. Thank you for stopping by, I do appreciate it. Today on the show, we're going to talk about Ex Machina, originally released on December 16th, 2014, with a wide release coming on April 24th, 2015, written and directed by Alex Garland, produced by Andrew McDonald and Alan Reich, and the score was composed by Ben Salisbury and Jeff Barrow, and all of those crew members are important in that they all collaborated on these other Alex Garland projects. There are like three other ones that they were associated with and and worked on. And the first one that I saw was Men from 2022. I don't know anything about this one, and there's not even a rating on IMDb. I don't even know where to watch it. It seems like a problem. Uh, They did something called Devs with Nick Offerman, and I was super excited about potentially watching this, and then I realized it was a miniseries. And although I'm not wholly opposed to TV and series, it's just like, I usually would prefer a movie. It's just my style. And then the last one that I saw was called Annihilation. That one I've actually heard of, but I don't I don't know if it's any good. I think it's got like a 6.8 on IMDb, which is like not bad, but not great either. So it's really those three movies, well, these four movies were the only ones of note on their filmographies, like any of these guys. I mean, Alex Garland was a co-writer on the movie Dread, and I'll talk about that in a second, but just, you know, not a ton to talk about outside of those movies for these individuals. For the cast, we have Domhnall Gleeson, who is son of actor Brendan Gleeson, in case you didn't know. He plays Caleb, and he was in About Time, which was previously covered on this podcast, and that's one of my favorite romantic comedies of all time. It's just so likable to me. I just, I, you couldn't, I couldn't see how you could possibly hate that movie. It's one thing if it's not your cup of tea, but to like actively not like it is insane to me. He was in the Harry Potter movies. I don't remember exactly which ones, but he played Bill Weasley. I'm assuming one of Ron Weasley's brothers or relatives of some sort. I just, I can't remember those movies. It's been a while. I've seen them all. It's just not a lot stuck for me. He was also in Dread, which as I mentioned, was written in part by Alex Garland. And Dread is a fucking solid movie. There are There are people who aren't big fans of it. They don't think it's that good. I really love it. I would kill to get more comic book type movies in the vein of Dread where all of these visuals are going on. It's kind of low budget and it's just like a good fucking time. It's just really fucking intense, but it's also like over the top and ridiculous. Last but not least for him was The Revenant with Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hardy and I barely remember him in that. I do remember that he was in it, but it's so Leo-focused throughout that plot, and then at the very most, you get a decent amount more Tom Hardy than anybody else beyond Leo. So, solid movie. I saw it in theaters, and I actually bought it. I haven't watched it again since I bought it because that movie was so visual. I'm just afraid of, like, what might happen if I try and watch that on a smaller screen, like, no, I'm not I'm not anticipating good things. Next up, we have Alicia Vikander, who plays Ava, and she was in Tomb Raider, that more recent one. It was like a reboot. It didn't really break enough new ground or 
differentiate itself enough from the Angelina Jolie Tomb Raider movies. It was definitively less over the top and ridiculous, but it was just not anything to write home about. She was in The Man from Uncle, which is a Guy Ritchie movie. It's a spy thriller. I really love The Man from Uncle. I think it's criminally underrated. It's got uh, Henry Cavill and Army Hammer in it. And there's a lot of great little bits of comedy here and there, as is to be expected in a Guy Ritchie movie. And it's just, it's a very, a very fun watch, honestly. Like, I really like it. And last for her, she was in The Danish Girl. And that movie, I went into it not knowing really much at all what is what it was about. I mean, I couldn't even have told you. I can't remember if I had seen the cover of the movie, because that would have given quite a bit away. But basically, I mean, it's it's... uh, It's about like somebody in, I think it's the early 1900s, this guy who was born a man wants to become a woman. Like he, he essentially identifies as a woman and he, basically it's just his life, like how, what is, what happens to him as a result of having those feelings and how he's treated and what he has to hide and all that stuff. And then the last cast member, because this is a super short cast, I mean, there's a couple other people I could have credited, but they weren't really worth talking about. Oscar Isaac, who plays Nathan, and he was in the movie Drive with Ryan Gosling, and that is definitely a future episode. I kind of have to get it ironed out with what I want to do with Drive. It's like an inevitability because I fucking love it. He was in Dune, and that one's a solid one. I mean, honestly, we only got the first part, but it's pretty fucking epic. I didn't find myself, like, head over heels for it necessarily, but I definitely appreciated what great qualities it did have, and it was just, I I really, that's probably a revisit. I need to go back to that one. He was in the Marvel, I think, miniseries or just regular series. I don't know if they're doing another season, but he was in Moon Knight, and... I've heard really iffy things. I've heard some people like really love it. And then I've heard people that say they, eh, nothing, not for me, you know, like just, and last for him, I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that he was in the Star Wars sequel trilogy as Poe Dameron. And I would say overall, my feelings on the sequel trilogy would be that it was a swing and a miss at best. Like, the Force Awakens is probably, for my money, the best, but it also has been pointed out how much it echoes the original 1977 Star Wars. It's one thing to like have that little bit of fan service or whatever you want to call it, to have as much of it as there was. Like Once you really start peeling back the onion, you're like, holy shit, this movie is a new hope. And I don't like to call it a new hope. I, I apologize to any Star Wars purists. I just, sometimes it's easier to just say A New Hope. Uh, and then The Last Jedi, I hated. And The Rise of Skywalker, it it was it was better than The Last Jedi by a very marginal amount. And then it, it also just, like, it kept doing things where it was like, oh, we're going to have this character that you love die, and it's going to be super impactful. And then, like, 15 minutes of runtime later, it's like, oh, hey, by the way, that person that we killed earlier guess what? They're still alive. Aren't you so happy now? Yeah. So that's, that's what I'm, I'm talking about with those. I I just, I think that they really fucked it up. I think JJ Abrams not doing all three really took away a ton from it. It just, I, I can't do it. For casting notes, 
Just kidding, there are no casting notes. For the plot synopsis, a coder at a tech company gets selected to spend a week working with a robot to see if its artificial intelligence is convincing enough to pass for human. All right, so tagline, eh, there's no tagline, sorry. All right, gang, let's just dive right into the plot of this fucking movie. So honestly, A24 movies are so hit and miss for me. Like, I don't care for a lot of their biggest hits. I wasn't like a big Moonlight I think it's Moonlight, yeah. I wasn't a big fan of that movie. I didn't really think it was that great. I, you know, it it just didn't do it for me. And I'm putting off seeing everything everywhere all at once because I am afraid that, like, that movie's going to have the same problem of, like, how many people were saying that their other movies were so fucking good that it's just, like, I'm I'm terrified. But it's, like, I... I it is. It's I, I definitely have ones. If I went through their whole list of movies, I could definitely pick out quite a few that I absolutely adore, and that's what makes this so difficult, because you want to see that next great movie, and if you're that antsy about it because of their reputation, come on. Domhnall Gleeson plays the timid Caleb, who wins some kind of contest at work, and he's just going to go to some guy's massive estate. A lot of things in this movie are shrouded in mystery pretty much the whole time that you're watching. And the helicopter that Caleb is in rides all the way there, but has to drop him off significantly short of where he's actually going because it, it's not accessible. So we find out that the house that Caleb ends up walking up to is more of a facility or just you know a research building of some sort. And the man who owns the house is named Nathan. He's played by Oscar Isaac, and he's the CEO of the company where Caleb works. And he's very serious and intense a lot of the time, but it's not without his sense of humor at all, but pretty much no sense of humor. So there's a type of look certain guys like this Nathan have nowadays that I just don't think, I don't think it's been popular for super long. I know I've seen people in previous decades and stuff that have this look, but it's like, when you have that bushier beard, you know, with a buzz cut or a shaved head, and it's just like, I, I don't really understand, like, I don't think I could pull it off. It, it just, it's a look that I see a lot more frequently nowadays. Of course, Oscar Isaac can pull it off because he can pretty much pull any look off, in my opinion. So Caleb is going to stay at the facility, and Nathan just straight up tells Caleb to fucking move past his overall freaked out awkwardness. And that's kind of like the whole thing where confident people will tell people who have no confidence to just fake it till you make it, despite usually needing confidence to do that. I only ever hear people who I identify as overly confident saying shit like that, because it's like, it's way fucking easier to point at somebody who's... Anyway, I'm sorry, I'm, 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 I'm really moving this around a lot. So this place is obviously large, and Caleb's room for the week is nice, but it has no windows whatsoever, and that probably wouldn't bother me so much, but the phone service is probably shitty as fuck. So Caleb has to sign an NDA contract, and Nathan is super manipulative and pushy about getting him to just sign it and be done with it. Nathan asks him if he knows what a Turing test is, and Caleb says yes, and I just want to clear up. A Turing test is performed when a human interacts with a machine, typically while not knowing for sure that they're interacting with a machine, and if the human can't tell during this time, 
that they are interacting with artificial intelligence, and the AI is determined to have behavior that is indistinguishable from or equivalent to a human, the machine would pass the test. And I'm sorry, just a brief side note here. There's a great movie called The Imitation Game about Alan Turing. Alan Turing in that movie is played by Benedict Cumberbatch. And he developed the Turing test, but he's also considered by many to be the father of modern computer science. Turing developed sophisticated machines during World War II to break coded Nazi messages successfully to know more of the Axis's plans ahead of time to feed back to the Allies. So eventually when the authorities discovered that he was gay, which would be considered a crime at that point, he was convicted of gross indecency and was forced to undergo chemical castration treatment. From what I gather, chemical castration is still used today on certain sex offenders in certain places throughout the world. Couldn't, didn't really want to look up everything about it. Didn't think that sounded like fun. In 1954, at age 41, Turing was found dead of cyanide poisoning. And although theories arose Asserting other possibilities, his death was officially ruled a suicide. His impact to the Allied cause is estimated to have saved 14 million lives and shortened the war by two years. Anywho, Nathan reveals that he has developed an advanced robot AI and he wants to perform a Turing test on it using Caleb. So Nathan watches on monitors as the two interact, and the robot is named Ava, and she's played by Alicia Vikander. She has a pretty human face, but I don't believe she's considered a cyborg, since it's not supposedly real human tissue, as we're to believe. They have a fairly brief chat, and afterwards, Caleb and Nathan talk about Ava and the true nature of Nathan's experiment, and how he wants her to seem real, even when it's clear she's all machine. So it's like Caleb points out, like, why are we doing these tests where I can obviously tell she's a robot? And he's like, oh, no, no, you don't understand. If I didn't let you know that she was a robot up front, there is no way she would fail a Turing test. And it's like, holy shit. Okay, so Nathan is so fucking intense, though. Oscar Isaac needs to be in more shit than he already is. I fucking love him. So late one night, Caleb discovers he is able to see the camera feed that is monitoring Ava on his TV in his room. And the power goes out and everything is lit red and everything is on lockdown. And Caleb is eventually able to leave his room and comes to a dark room. And Nathan is in there being super weird. It's like, you just know there's something you don't know. You know? I really don't know how the fuck they made Ava look like she has such a real human face with a real robot body. Yeah, I mean, like, I'll talk about this a little bit later, how they did it, because it's it makes a lot more sense the way they did it than the way I was thinking. I don't know really even what I was thinking. So Ava wants to know more about Caleb this time around, and Alicia Vikander honestly should have won an Oscar for this, but it was a stellar list of nominees in 2014, and the Oscars don't fucking matter. But among the lovely 2014 nominees was Kira Knightley for The Imitation Game, which is that one about Alan Turing that I mentioned. But also, by the way, guess who won an Oscar for The Danish Girl that I also previously talked about the following year? Yeppers, Alicia Vikander. All right, so the power goes out again and Ava starts trying to warn Caleb to not trust Nathan but she pretends like it didn't happen when the power comes back on and 
she goes back to being her normal self. At dinner, Caleb elects not to tell Nathan about what Ava said during the blackout. And if I'm in Caleb's shoes in this moment, based on how Nathan has acted thus far, I'd assume that he programmed Ava just to say that to test me, you know? I would just be that fucking suspicious. So there's this Asian servant named Kyoko that we're told doesn't understand English. And I think they do a good job making it clear that Caleb is attracted to Ava and they deliberately reveal his singlehood and loneliness. Nathan reveals to Caleb a bit of how he developed Ava by showing him different components. They like walk around this lab and he's showing him all these futuristic tech items and it's pretty neat. So the sessions continue, obviously, and Alicia Vikander is amazing at seeming like she's robotic, like that she's not a real person deep down, but like is still convincing. Like there has to be a lot that goes into honing that craft, you know? I, I can't I can't even fucking imagine being that good. So Ava surprises Caleb with a nice dress and a wig ensemble that covers her robot parts, and she tells him she wants to go on a date with him. She asks him if he thinks that she's hot based on picking up facial expressions and wants to know if he thinks about her in his spare time. And, like, absolutely he fucking does on both counts. Let's get fucking real. After the session, Nathan has to explain to Caleb why Ava has sexual aspects to her programming, as well as being attractive, because Caleb thinks that those are deliberate ways to manipulate him. A very astute observation by Caleb. So in the next session, Caleb talks to Ava about a thought experiment about a person who lives in a black and white room and has never seen color, and studies to understand color in every way they can without actually seeing it. When they finally see color, they're like, basically, they're just, they understand that there's like no amount of research that can make you understand what it's like to see color if you can't do it. So the power goes out again, and Caleb asks Ava why she told him not to trust Nathan, and she explains that he tells lies. So Caleb says he thinks that Nathan is using the blackouts to see what happens when they think he can't see them, but Ava is actually seemingly causing the blackouts herself. Following that session, Caleb confronts Nathan about how it's pretty clear he's not some random winner of a contest, as this whole thing was presented to him. Nathan explains that he selected Caleb for many reasons, including him being a really good coder and knowing good things to ask. Later, there's an unsettling scene where Caleb is trying to find Nathan and tries to ask Kyoko where he is, and Kyoko starts unbuttoning her top, and he tries to get her to stop, and then Nathan walks in on him in the creepiest way possible, like, Oscar Isaac is fucking selling this shit. So Ava asks Caleb some standard questions and detects if he is lying, like, instantly. Then questions get intense, and she asks him if she'll be shut down if she fails the tests. There's another blackout, and Ava tells Caleb she wants to be with him, and asks if he wants to be with her. I know why I like this movie so much, and why it's almost frightening, because I would totally fall for Ava, no questions asked, and it wouldn't even be like it was difficult for Ava to make that happen. So the guys keep having these little discussions about Ava. They talk about iterations that will come after her that Nathan is planning. And he says that he will wipe Ava's entire AI eventually. At one point, Nathan passes out on the couch. And by the way, I have never once called a couch a sofa. And I'm wondering, is there some kind of difference or... 
are they always the same thing? So I Googled it, and uh, it apparently the French word that couch is derived from defines it as having no arms, but a sofa is defined as usually having arms. So sofa is correct. It's they're still they're in the same family of types of furniture, I guess you could say, but they're different. But naturally, I will continue calling all sofas couches since it's my right as an American citizen. Anywho, while Nathan is passed out, Caleb steals his keycard, or should I say, swipes his keycard. Caleb looks on Nathan's computer, and another thing, is it safe to assume that copyright keeps movies from showing the interface of real operating systems? I googled it, the answer's yes. Caleb sees a ton of footage on the computer of Nathan's previous robots, including Kyoko, and she went fucking nuts because Nathan would not set her free. He leaves the computer and runs into Kyoko, who is naked, and she removes pieces of her skin, and I can hardly believe that this was something that we wouldn't have already figured out as viewers. As soon as you see Kyoko in this movie, if you don't automatically at least think a little bit like, well, she could definitely be a robot, right? Like, that's that's gotta be a thing. But it's kind of like presented in this movie like it's like, I don't believe it. So Caleb also cuts up his arm pretty bad to make sure that he isn't a cyborg. Like he's in this bathroom mirror and he's just fucking cutting up his arm, seeing if he's got, uh, you know, robot parts in there. No big deal. Caleb tells Ava about Nathan's plans to give her a factory reset and the two lovebirds hatch a scheme to break her out of there. The next morning, it's Caleb's last day there, and he tells Nathan that Ava passed the Turing test. Caleb tries initiating his plan to break Ava out by convincing Nathan to drink, but Nathan quickly reveals that he pretty much knows exactly what's going on. He doesn't know the finer details of the plan. He just knows that there is a plan. Caleb is shown all of this secret footage, and it's revealed that basically everything, including the blackouts, were just orchestrated by Nathan to manipulate Caleb. Nathan reveals to Caleb that he chose him not because he was a good coder necessarily, but because he knew that Caleb was single and had no family, and he could base a lot of the decisions he made on Caleb's work, like work computer search history. And so that's how he kind of decided he was a good choice. So Nathan wants to know more about the plan since it has clearly failed. And Caleb says the plan was to reconfigure the blackout lockdown program to unlock everything instead of sealing the whole facility like it does. Then, just as this movie is feeling a tad predictable but still enjoyable, Caleb tells Nathan he already carried out that plan. Ava breaks out and Nathan confronts her in the hall where Kyoko also closes in on him and they basically just kind of fuck him up. Well, mostly Ava fucks him up, but whatever. So he takes out Kyoko, but Ava stabs him in the gut and she leaves him for dead after hanging out for a minute. I don't know what that was all about. It it was something, but I'm sure I was supposed to be reading into it what it meant, but I didn't get it. Ava finds Caleb and asks him to stay there, but it's not really clear how she means that. Like, does she just mean, stay in this room, I have to take care of a couple of things before we go? Does she mean, stay there in this facility forever? What's the story? 
Ava finds the older gen robots to use for spare parts to replace her severed arm and give herself new skin that fits perfectly somehow. She admires herself in the mirror and then puts on a dress from one of the robots. So she leaves Caleb locked in a room and he's just fucking devastated. And she uses Nathan's key card to get out and goes outside to find the helicopter and pilot who is expecting Caleb. And I guess he just doesn't ask a whole lot of fucking questions. And the movie ends with her walking the streets of presumably New York, because I think that's where Caleb was at the beginning of the movie. Can't really remember. Okay, so we roll credits and praise for this movie. It's such an interesting plot. I don't care if you feel like a lot of it's like predictable or like the, the storytelling... I I love the storytelling here. Like, it's a great story, and it's so straightforward and engaging. I can't get enough of it. I would kill to have more movies like this. Not necessarily, like, this exact same thing, but, like, you know, movies in the same style as this. So the special effects are exactly what they need to be here, and I'll talk for a minute later on in trivia about what they did to make things look the way they did. It also is just a visually terrific film, both in how it's shot, and some of the locations on Nathan's estate. It's all very cool to look at. I really enjoy it. And it's just, I don't know. I mean, it's a lot of, it's a lot of, uh, it's it's the aesthetics. You know, I really go for that. Because sometimes the shittiest movies, if they have good aesthetics, it's like they're still fucking watchable. So my only criticism for this movie is, even though there are some reveals in the movie that weren't predictable, some of them were but I still enjoy it. Certain assumptions should have been made on the part of the filmmakers to recognize what the audience was going to pick up on because there's there's things that just like, how would you not pick up on that? How would you not realize that was what was happening? Okay, so now we got some trivia. So the location of the house in the movie is the Juvet Landscape Hotel in Norway. And I'm sure Juvet is not pronounced Juvet, but guess what? That's how I'm saying it. Oscar Isaac said he based his characterization of Nathan on Bobby Fischer and Stanley Kubrick, who he sees as mysterious, elusive geniuses. The now iconic look of the latter also served as an inspiration for Nathan's beard. 15,000 P-bulb lights were installed on the set to avoid the fluorescent look of other sci-fi films. During the filming, there were no special effects green screens, or tracking markers used at all. Ava's robot body was achieved using a detailed costume that included a full bodysuit made from polyurethane with metal powder poured onto it to create the mesh look. Scenes featuring Ava were shot both with and without Alicia Vikander present, so her full background was captured. And I thought that was a little interesting. Like, I'm sure that happens a lot, but you don't read about it very much. Okay, so on to info and ratings. So we have a runtime of 108 minutes. This movie is rated R by the Motion Picture Association of America. Budget, 15 million. Opening weekend, 237.3 thousand. Worldwide gross, 37.4 million. IMDb rating, 7.7. Rotten Tomato Critics Score, 92%. Rotten Tomato audience score, 86%. Personal rating, 4.5 out of 5 stars. I really love this one, and I urge anybody who has an inkling to see it to go ahead and watch it. It's so fucking good. I really wish 
I, I'm already a little disappointed by how little I've seen from the guy that made this since this came out because it's been almost 10 years now and like all of the stuff he's made I haven't even heard anything about so all right everyone well that's all I got for you I hope you have a good rest of your day bye now at random reviews artwork theme music and podcast are written performed recorded engineered directed and produced by brandon griffiths in association with brandon at random reviews entertainment 